Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast. I'm John Walsh and for this episode I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr Marshall Julius. Uh, a writer and author, and you'll probably know him from last year's hit quiz book, Vintage Geek. Hello, Marshall. Hello, John. How are you keeping? I'm doing very well, and I hope you appreciate we um, dedicated the opening theme tune to you there. You, you chose that piece of music for us for this episode. What can you tell us about that? I love that piece of music. I mean, Bernard Herrmann's, you know, he, the wonderful scores that he wrote for uh, Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Ray Harryhausen films. I mean, absolutely timeless some of my favorite bits of music and something i particularly love about um that music is it sounds like a xylophone played with human bones and it's so appropriate to the sequence but i think we're going to discuss the sequence later in the show so let's not get into it now eh? let's save that gold for a bit later we are indeed going to save that for a bit later and these are different times for us because normally you'll hear me co-hosting here with connor heaney our collections manager but of course in these difficult times we're having to do things differently we're working from home and uh, lots of our plans for this centenary year, of course, have uh, have changed. They haven't been cancelled, but they have changed. So the exhibition that was planned at the uh, National Gallery of Scotland, Ray Harryhausen, Titan of Cinema, has been postponed, as some of you may know. And uh, we hope that it will take place later in the year. It definitely will be taking place. So for those of you who've booked flights or plan to come up or have tickets, then you can certainly sort something out and have those refunded and rebooked. Um, in addition to the exhibition, the memoir, Titan of Cinema, by Vanessa Harryhausen herself, will still be published. So the date for that might be pushed back to coincide with the launch of the actual ex- uh, exhibition. But um, in that book, she's going to be revealing personal anecdotes, memories of growing up with uh, with her father, one of the most influential filmmakers of the uh, of the 20th century wouldn't you agree marshall i would absolutely agree with that i would absolutely I, why i was reading a bit about the book and i, I love that it, it's about um she chooses like a hundred iconic um items doesn't she uh and she she discusses them and i think that's such a a novel way to to get into it and i'm sure that it must have uh, stirred up all sorts of um, wonderful memories for her so i think that uh, a book from her is going to come across as like uh, really insightful and personal and i'm looking forward to it and you've got lots of great new photos there's loads of new photos in there aren't there from the collection as well there are. There are things that have never been seen before as well because there's some things in Vanessa's private collection which she's making available for the very first time. And some of those like kind of family stills and behind the scenes stuff. Um, but she also, um, I think I can reveal this, she owns the full-size head for Minotaur. Oh, nice. That's something fun to grow up with, I imagine. Something scary. I wonder where they kept it in the loo, maybe. 
Well, you'll find out in the book. But um, the, the interesting thing, the original title of the book was going to be Harryhausen 100, because, of course, that's the sort of hashtag we've been using for this uh, this year leading up to the centenary. And uh, I, I spoke to Vanessa and said that, you know, the best person to write this book, because, of course, I'd written um, Lost Movies book. And previous to that, Richard Hollis had written the posters book, Harryhausen, the movie posters. And uh, I'd spoken to Ray about doing a movie posters book. And he said, that he didn't think there was enough posters to warrant a book of his films. And, uh, of course, there was, and it's a terrific book. But Vanessa was like, um, that's great. You know, we'll do a book then for the centenary. I said, you should write it. And she thought I was joking in the sense that because she hadn't written a book yet, that um, somehow it would be outside of her, her grasp or something. But, um, of course, she is the perfect person to write it. Who better? If you were writing a book, say, about Walt Disney and you had one of the surviving Walt Disney children available, you'd want them to write the book. You'd want to hear from them, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would just defrost one. Surely there's there's one, you know, on ice somewhere where you could just pull him out the freezer with the fish fingers and say, quickly, write a book about your dad before we put you back. But maybe that's a fly of fantasy. I don't know. Well, if you could be frozen, would you be? If I could be frozen... um, yeah, all right. <laughs> you don't like, seem that bothered. Yeah, I don't mean like right me. now. Look, if I'm about to go and there's a chance that you can kind of defrost me Buck Rogers style in a thousand years and suddenly I'll be incredibly exotic and uh, and just um, desired and, and, and uh, I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Do it. Do it. Or, or you could come back as the world's poorest man because if all of your, your sort of um, estate has been used to keep the batteries on, to keep you frozen you might come back as the poorest person on the planet Earth. Well, I'm a freelance journalist, so I'm already the poorest person on the planet Earth. And you said to be frozen just before you go, but you wouldn't be in your best kind of uh, Buck Rogers state, though. You wouldn't be astronaut fit. That's true. Well, it's too late for that, I'm afraid, (laughs) anyway. So I might as well get a few more months out of this old sack of flesh before you freeze me. So your book, um, Vintage Geek, which of course has been a, a very uh, successful book and, and lots of people are talking about it, has its own Ray Harryhausen chapter and uh, you, you quizzed me and, and other sort of well-known folk on the contents. Um, what were you planning for the centenary? Because you were of course going to be involved not just with the Harryhausen Foundation, but with National Gallery of Scotland and lots of the events around that. So what kind of sneak preview can you give us of what What's coming for Marshall Julius? Well, we were discussing all sorts of stuff. Um, obviously, it's sort of all up in the air now. But um, I should think once the world returns to normal or whatever the new normal is going to be, um, hopefully all of those plans will, you know, get um, be put back into motion. So I was going to write a series of blogs. Um, I was going to have a nice chat with uh, Caroline Monroe um, about her Ray Harryhausen memories. I was going to... Um, Possibly, at least I was hope I was going to, that um, at the exhibition I was going to run a Ray Harryhausen quiz with some new questions as well, so you can't just swat up using stuff from my book. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to uh, really just going there and poring over, like, every single artefact and just uh, spending weeks and weeks there just um, until they threw me out, basically. Well, we're hoping you'll still be a big part of that. We want you to be a part of, of you know, a special Harryhausen quiz night. So we're going to come up with some great prizes to bring people along. Not only signed copies of your book, but uh, of mine and of Vanessa's and maybe a few other treats as well. Oh, that so would I be, think, yes, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the thing about 
the thing about nerds I've always felt is that uh, it's not enough that we know everything or feel we know everything, but we totally have to flex, don't we? And, and prove that we know everything. It's like, I'm not going to be, um, you know, really doing well in, 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 in physical arenas of competition. You know, it's like, I'm not going to be winning races or, or, or excelling at, at discus throwing or, or really anything physical at all beyond, uh, I know lifting a TV remote control um, or, or make a cup of tea. But ask me obscure questions about stuff that people have forgotten for decades and I'm there. And, and, and that's where we excel with, with the brain stuff. So in the Harryhausen universe, was there a place for geeks? Because you couldn't have been one of the Argonauts, could you? No, gosh, no. I would probably be like the wizard um, picked on by the harpies or something. That would be that would be my best outcome in a Ray Harryhausen film. I would just be somehow beleaguered. Or maybe you could be Melanthius when you're much older. You could be the kind of wise sage who has no no kind of sense of direction or plans where to send Sinbad. But inside the cave, you can show him things that you'd you'd taken from other travellers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could totally kind of yeah bullshit them. Definitely, I could pretend to be a kind of a wise old man. I don't think that with my with genuine wisdom, I could I could steer them right. But. The thing about, you know, people in, in, in those movies is that they would come to your island, you would give them some advice, then they'd go off on a voyage and, you know, although it happened like the next minute in a film, you'd have to think that there were weeks and months um, in, in, in travelling. So you could really say anything. you say, oh, yes, you have to go to the distant island of whatever to get the, the sacred thing of, you know, and then you have to do, the, you know, you could just say all this stuff. And when they leave, you could have a good laugh. You say, I just made it all up because they're probably going to die on the voyage anyway you know in real life or, or you could be in league with medusa you've sent people over remember charon the um the ferry carrier i do, the guy, I the do. Skeleton, and and he had his little kind of claw hand um that was all very odd you kind of wondered who's getting that money he's not spending it on clothes is he um, i assume that he has like a machine and he just puts it in pounds and he gets little like mario toys and stuff out of them and he has a collection of little plastic earrings and stuff well, when I first saw that, I always thought genuinely that he's in league with Medusa, that somehow she reanimated one of the soldiers and he's kind of has to go to and fro as the ferryman. But uh, if I'd done my research properly, I would have looked into the Greek myth. But uh, I'm winging it. Because she didn't it. talk. She didn't talk in Clash of the Titans. So I don't know. I didn't really know what, what to make of her. A wonderful scene. But I, I get the impression that she's like forgotten how to talk. She can probably yes. hiss. Because all she talks to is uh, she talks change. to her hair. That's that's what she does. That's all she's got for company. Now, one of the things we planned to do for the centenary, which we are still going to do, is to do the ultimate poll, the ultimate vote or the ranking of Ray Harryhausen's creatures. And you often see, don't you, even in the broadsheet newspapers now, the uh, the top ten Bond songs ranked or the uh, top 10 carry-on films ranked. And so people are really excited about the prospect of seeing what's there. Um, I suppose the equivalent is reading Blu-ray reviews. I read the 4K review for Empire Strikes Back, which is my favourite of the Star Wars films. And the 4K review of it was um, not as positive as I hoped it would be. And I, I think it's always it's always interesting to see something that's outside of your expectations and, and not the usual top 10s. And I think in the ranking of the James Bond songs, people assumed, was it Goldfinger would be number one and so on. But I like to see reverse rankings. Papers rarely go for that. The, the 
if you like, the 10 worst Bond songs. Oh, there's or... plenty of bad Bond songs. I mean, almost everything from the last, you know, 25 years. Not everything. There are a few good songs. Another Way to Die, or is it what, that uh, that was good? And uh, all, all, they've all completely gone out of my mind, though. Really, nothing's been good since The Spy Loved Me, honestly. And funny enough, because that was Marvin Hamlish, that wasn't John Barry, was it? I think people assume Spy Loved Me was John Barry, and uh, and it wasn't. Yeah, no, I, it has, and it has a very kind of 70s feel to it. I think that Hamlish was kind of respectful of the Bond sound, though, but still kind of modernised it, at least modernised it for, for, the, for the 70s. Now it sounds sort of old and, and gorgeously old. I think that that film is dated really well, actually. I still love The Spy Love Me. I think it's an excellent, excellent film. I do, I agree sort of totally. Uh, just a couple of years later, when Bill Conti took over the musical reigns on um, For Your Eyes Only. Um... That's just terrible. That's so annoying, that music. It's just really, that has horribly dated, wouldn't you say? Both the title track, which I kind of love for the fact it doesn't quite work, and the music on the film, just like, wow, it's like an episode of Heart to Heart. But no you know what is ex- what is where where uh, for your eyes only um, where the um, opening title track, what unique place it has in Bond history? Do you know, yes, John? Yes, I do. Um, Sheena Easton's the only performer to take place in the Morris Binder title sequence. You actually see her. I know. Isn't that kind of strange? Yeah. So I literally have nothing to say beyond that. It's like, yes, yeah, she's in it. Okay, that's it. That's that's my whole fact. She sang the title theme or the the released single for another big film from the 80s from the makers of Superman. 
Do you know what that one is? Not Superman the movie. Not uh, no. not uh, Santa Claus the movie. Yes. Santa no, Claus really. I love that film. Yes. So the full soundtrack for that. So if you dig it out, I can send you a, a link to it. But um, yeah, she did the the beautiful song from that. You know, I've written. never seen Santa Claus the movie. That's a disgrace. That's a disgrace. <laughs> I don't mind admitting it. But you know, during these lockdown times, maybe. Maybe I will get around to it. I'm watching The Sopranos. I started watching The Sopranos. Never watched it before. That's fair enough. I haven't either. It's all right. I think they're they're a little long, the episodes. But as you you get towards the 50-minute point, it's like, okay, I'm ready for this episode to end. They're like an hour right on the nose. And I think that some of them are a little bit drawn out. But uh, they are really um, wonderful shows. Not many Cyclopses or, uh, or Minotaurs or, you know, they could use a bit more of that. A bit use a bit of uh, Ray Harryhausen oomph, but, you know, kind of everything. We'll try and get to see Santa Claus the movie. It's preferable to watch it at Christmas time. There's some marvellous Derek Meddings effects in there. And uh, a marvellous score by Henry Mancini, one of his better... Um, scores outside of the Pink Panther. Well, now I can't wait till Christmas, so I'm going to watch it this evening. stuff now to get us back to ray harryhausen this poll that we're going to be doing we're launching a a website where every single animated creature and human because there were animated humans in ray's films as well um, will be listed so you'll be able to choose your top three and vote for them and then that will be collated through and a top 10 will be compiled and the hope was that we'd get a well-known person like john landis to reveal on ray's birthday at the uh, National Gallery of Scotland's exhibition. Sadly, that won't be the case, but we will reveal on Ray's birthday the final top ten. So you've come armed, Marshall, with your own top three of favourite creatures, but also you're going to be uh, revealing to us your unsung heroes as well. So how would you describe your unsung Harryhausen heroes? Well, I would say my unsung heroes, like the unsung heroes, unsung scenes, you know, it's hard to know, isn't it? Um... What you know, people say, oh, you know, that 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 person or that actor or actress or that filmmaker was often overlooked, or that sequence doesn't get enough love, or um, you know, but it's like, well, you know, by who are you talking about? Because you know, I, I think that there are a lot of right-minded, smart, um, um, cultured people who who do respect those things, who 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 sing about them. They're not unsung. We sing daily about those things. So in my house, they're not unsung, but uh, maybe in some people's houses. They're unsung. I guess we'll find out once we go through the list. We will. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to actually play clips from the scenes of these films. And you can choose whether we go with the clip first or whether you go with the reveal first. So it's entirely up to you. And do you want to go with your uh, your your standard top three before we go unsung? Or yes. Do go unsung let's, do, let's, let's do the classic, my three classic, classic creatures first. So in number three... I'm not going to say the children of the Hydra's teeth because everyone's going to say that. I'm going to say Mighty Joe Young from Mighty Joe Young. Here's the 
kind of movie you're waiting to see as John Ford and Miriam C. Cooper present Mighty Joe Young, whose sensational exploits will startle you, thrill you, electrify you with hair-raising excitement and suspense. See Mighty Joe Young as he savagely resists capture in his native Africa. Oh! See the most fantastic relationship between beast and beauty. A mere girl mastering a primitive giant. See mighty Joe Young, enraged by Hollywood pranksters, destroy Filmland's swankiest nightclub on the fabulous Sunset Strip. So we just heard a, a clip of the trailer there of Mighty Joe Young. And of course, that's a fabulous film. It works really well, doesn't it, Marshall? It does. I mean, I, I love um, King Kong. This was obviously made a decade later by uh, the King Kong um, team. The difference being that uh, Willis O'Brien had a young um, uh, Ray Harryhausen uh, as his uh, mentoring. He was mentoring him. And uh, I, I, I love that movie. I love King Kong. I love it with every fibre of my being. Uh, Mighty Joe Young uh, struck me as a sort of a kid-friendly version of of King Kong. I mean, the whole thing is about, you know, an ape who's a bit smaller than King Kong, isn't he? He's not like as big as a building. He's still enormous, though. And uh, but he's got a friend. He, he, he's he got, you know, he's friends with a little girl who, who grows up um, through the movie uh, as he does. But it seemed like a total wish fulfillment for anybody who watched uh, King Kong and, and, and wanted to have a, a giant gorilla chum. And this is basically what Mighty Joe Young um, was. And, you know, what a wonderful a kind of a wish fulfillment uh, uh, movie. I, th- I think it was, with all the, with the exception of all the terrible things that happens uh, to Joe and, and, and the uh, orphanage that burns down at the end. You know, obviously that I wouldn't wish that. It's not like, oh my god, I wish I could go and rescue a bunch of uh, burning children. But um, yeah, I digress. Well, it's a good choice, and I'm going to digress slightly. The uh, Harry Howes and the Lost Movies book, which came out last year. Um, which I wrote. I don't know if you knew that. Um, had and what a wonderful book it is, John. Really, just just so much better than um, Vintage Geek. It's ridiculous. I, I feel, I'm in awe of your talent and I, I feel I feel dwarfed by it. Well, that's very is that kind good? You, you can say. just send me the check. Just send I'll me the check. That'll be discussed. But um, no, it's very kind of you. Um, but there's quite a few good scenes in there that could have been creative where Joe is fighting with... Uh, some some lions when they when they, when a plane crashes and there's a whole sequence in the nightclub that was that was not filmed so they had some really kind of high ambitions for for Mighty Joe didn't they? Absolutely, and I would have loved to have seen more. I'd have loved to have seen a second or a third movie. I mean, nowadays obviously there'd be like a whole um, Mighty Joe Young um, trilogy. He'd be part of the Marvel universe he, he, at the end of you know Endgame. He'd be there fighting uh, Thanos with everybody else, and I would have really enjoyed seeing that especially if everything else was cg but much young remained uh, stop motion animated by ray i think that uh, i think that there is a place for a stop motion superhero just in the middle of all of the the, the marvel universe i think so well look ray turned down the first marvel films as you'll know it was stan lee approached him in 1984 for the very first x-men film yeah, and that was probably a super wise decision because, I mean, Marvel stuff um, back then was just terrible. I mean, Marvel had... Uh, it's easy to think now that, you know, Marvel have it all going on. I mean, not just um, since, you know, Iron Man with uh, the official Marvel Studios, but uh, or, or even with Sam Raimi's films or even with, you know, the Blade movies where, you know, it, it seems that for, for quite a while, Marvel has um, kind of cracked uh, the the the, uh, the secret formula for making movies, but in the seventies, um, 
they were just terrible. The films that we grew up with, the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man films, it just looked like he was... I mean, they didn't even get an athlete to do it, did they? And the ropes, uh, the, the the webs were just like thick white ropes. And, and he didn't really climb walls. He walked on rooftops and he just walked slightly crouched down like, oh, well, you know, he just looked like he had a bad back. Um, that was those were the that's what and, and the terrible um, Corman things and the, the Captain America and the, the and the Fantastic Four they're just terrible. I mean, you you find them on um, you find them on uh, YouTube and they're notorious notoriously bad. So I'm so pleased that Ray said no because they wouldn't have had any sort of budget for it. It would have just been terrible, terrible. So he did the right thing there for sure. But the fascinating thing, of course, is Ray worked with very small budgets, and yet people don't think of that. When they look at his films today, they don't... For example, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad was shot for 17 times less than what it cost to make Clash of the Titans a few years later. 17 times. Um, It was about $900,000, Golden Voyage of Sinbad, compared to just over $15 the Clash of the Titans. Wasn't $10 of the Clash of the Titans budget for Harry Hamlin's Hairspray? I thought most of that went on, you know, just poofing it up and just... uh, If it hadn't have had that, if they'd had a bald hero, they'd have been able to make it for peanuts. They would have done. Who'd go to the cinema to see that, though? He's lovely, beautiful hair. It looked like an advert for for, for conditioner and and shampoo all rolled into one. And everything, everything. His hair had the springiness of bed springs. Well, I I like things with bald heroes, actually. You know, kids, if you're uh, just listening to this, um, I am a bald man and a proud bald man. And my heroes are Lex Luthor and Jean-Luc Picard, um, Telly Savalas, Yul Brynner. You know, you'll notice that there's a pattern there. But Lex Luthor used to wear beautiful toupees, didn't he? In, uh, Until he in had his defiant moment and then he pulled it off and it was like, yes, I am bald and I'm not ashamed of it. Yes, you're right. He does have hair in Superman the movie until the end. You've ruined until everything. He goes to prison. He's decided he's <laughs> going to be in all the, those rough types. You know, I, I, I better do something that, uh, that draws He wanted to look now. less attractive in prison. Little did he know that uh, criminals actually have a thing for bald men. People didn't know. It was different times. Different times. Before we charge into your number two choice, why don't you tease up the clip for listeners so that um, you don't reveal too much? We'll play a clip and see if they can guess. Okay. uh, So for my second clip, um, it is going to involve um, cookery. So that was very dramatic, and that sounded like a, a real sort of X-rated moment in a in a Ray Harryhausen film. So your number two choice was the, uh, well, was the Cyclops from the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Oh uh, yeah, I really, uh, I really like the Cyclops. Uh, the Cyclops is the Cyclops Eye because there's more than one, isn't there? I suppose it should be Cyclops Eye. That's kind of appropriate. Um, like octopi, are, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, they, they are the indigenous residents of the uh, uh, of the island um, that they're on. They have every right, I feel, to repel um, invaders and, and, and stock up their larders for later. I, I love that um, it's not just some dumb beast. I love that uh, the, the Cyclops has a cage where it drops 
where it drops, you know, food for later, where it grabs the people and puts them for later. I love that it, it cooks them on a spit. It's not just biting their heads off. It actually wants to cook them. Okay, it doesn't strip them. And if you see the way that it ties them to the spit, it's not very tight. And also, if you tie somebody to a spit using rope, the rope is going to burn and they're going to fall off into the fire. So, I mean, it didn't fully think things through, but um, I, I, I kind of I respect it. I think it's fantastic. Um design um I, I think it's uh terrifying and and very cool and i like the fairy trousers it must be very hot during the summer i was thinking that i really you know it, but it probably shaves you know i mean if it does everything else there's probably um when it gets very hot it probably just shaves its legs and that is a sequence that was probably detailed in your book and look, he's 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 um, living by the beach, so he's getting the he's getting the right combination of sun and sea, and he can stay cool. Um, yeah, there was mo- lots of missing scenes from the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, some that involved the Cyclops as well. Um, but he's a real iconic creature, isn't he? When people think of Ray's films, and when you see any kind of posters celebrating a film festival of his works, it's the Cyclops that's um, that's often in there. So. Um, you're doing really well. So Mighty Joe and the Cyclops. This is a bit like choosing lottery numbers. I wonder how many other people now will choose the Marshall Three. And uh, we are going to be giving away today, before we get to your final um, choice of your top three, we're going to be giving away five copies of your fabulous book, Vintage Geek, uh, to five well, lucky that's listeners. Exciting. And, and we're really pleased and we're very grateful to be doing that. So um, if you want to set a question as well, and you can give that question at the end of the episode. And I will. We, I will. And okay. we will uh, I'll take that challenge. So the first five people who answer on the Ray Harryhausen page when the post uh, when the podcast is posted will will get a copy of the book and we'll organise all of that, Marshall. So that's uh, you don't have to go out into the real world. No, gosh, no, no. You know, I was thinking about this whole isolation thing, and I think that uh, Ray would have been excellent at self-isolating since he spent most of his time anyway in a room stop motion animating i mean he he was very solitary sort of person wasn't he he must have been he must have been to do to do what he did so i think that he could have probably done this uh, whole coronavirus thing on his head well i asked him you know why did you not use a video assist which is a camera a video camera that sits alongside the film camera and gets to show you the motions of the creatures because when you're shooting on film, you don't get to see the film until it's developed, sometimes up to two or three days later. And particularly if only a small amount of footage has gone through the camera, you can't actually send a short end to a laboratory. And plus, Charles Schneer wouldn't pay for you to have a short end developed, because if they have to run a chemical bath just for a short end that you're sending, it's very much more expensive than if they're running a chemical bath for somebody else. Years ago, I had um, when I made a film um, called Monarch, uh, the lab would ring me and say that RSA, Ridley Scott Associates, Ridley Scott Associates having a bath tonight, John. If I want to pop your film in, I can get some some cans in for you after after Ridley Scott. So um, it was mostly commercials works that was happening through uh, Soho Images and from Ridley Scott Associates. So my films would be developed after films from Ridley Scott Associates would go through because it was a much cheaper charge per foot per minute if you use um, somebody else's chemical bath. I love a nice hot chemical bath, honestly. Light some <laughs> candles, some joss sticks, the ambience. It's just delightful. Who are you, Dr. Crippin? But, uh, we slightly digress there. But um, no, Ray would have been an interesting solitary person in that situation. So he never used a video assist. He said it was just 
too many plates to spin to have something extra to do. And also he never took up smoking because he said that he really didn't have a spare pair of hands. What he was doing, he was fully occupied with. So he felt that, you know, stop motion probably saved him from being a smoker as well, which is, um, and as you say, Marshall, he had no sense of time in, in our sense and that lunch times and dinner times would sometimes come and go and he'd miss meals because he'd be so engrossed in what he's doing. And of course, there'd be no natural light coming into the studio space. So it would be easy to to allow one hour to slip into the next. And people f- say they find that online. If they're doing online gaming or maybe shopping and so on, they think maybe an hour has passed and three or four hours has slipped through. So I think you're right, Ray Harryhausen and self-isolating. Plus, plus I thought this, he used to choose films that would have isolation as their theme. And that's where the creatures who are isolated on an island, whether it's um, the Cyclops or major themes. H.G. Wells often talked about isolation and, and, and forms of isolation in his work. We think of the themes of First Men in the Moon and, of course, the virus, uh, spoiler, um, that comes in to, to sort of resolve the issues there. So there, there is a lot of recurring themes with what's happening with us today. Um, and I might ask you for your top three, if you've got them, um, uh, isolation films as well, because people are kind of crazy talking about, oh, it's like this film, it's like that film. So, isn't it? The isn't spot. the world sort of like a film? The only thing that's missing is the is are the monsters that are attracted by the slightest sound, or or the zombies that um you know can can smell your blood blood at a hundred yards, or it's just it, that's all we're missing is it's just the one thing that turns it from um the kind of mundane into the horrific, which you know is probably a good thing probably <laughs> a good thing, but also probably have a good this thing. Thought, if you listen to this podcast just before you go to sleep, think this thought that this coronavirus might be the prelude to the alien invasion. <laughs> That's, yes, good luck sleeping now. I'm, I'm thinking in particular the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ah, uh, yes. That film feels like it's the coronavirus, and then the follow-up would have been the, the antidote comes landing in, in the centre of Washington in a flying saucer. I would have liked to have seen a sequel to um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers um, because obviously at the end of the uh, of the original version... Uh, Kevin McCarthy gets to the uh, highway and he, he alerts the authorities and, and, and you get the idea that actually people finally take him seriously they're going to track down the pod people and burn them and that will be the end of it in the uh, the remake which is more like a kind of a continuation you know he, he runs out he as an old man crazily into the road and uh, in, in in front of um, Donald Sutherland's car, and, and he gets he gets killed, doesn't he? He he, he hits the car, he's raving, he runs off, and he, he gets caught by the pod people. And so I always thought the second one was what would happen if um, if uh, he didn't warn the world um, in time, because obviously he's like a raving crazy man. It's, it's only for, because they wanted to wrap up the first film not easily that uh, that they gave it a happy ending. But in reality, a crazy man on the highway. We'll probably just get run over and, and it would have been a much darker ending as it was in the second film but what a great thing I think to have a third film where everyone is a pod person and then they get invaded by say you know by, by, by something else and then we can have a laugh while they all get picked off yeah well I think there's there's a pitch to be done there to a studio um, you never know you, I'll be with you in the pitch and depending on the look on the face of the studio head I'll be like 
What's he thinking? What's he thinking? Like, say there was a spaceman, like, say there was an astronaut, and, and then he comes back down to Earth after all this, after all this stuff has happened. And then you know he brings with him some sort of space disease, or I, I have to th- I have to think it through. I can't I can't give you the whole plot off the top of my head, John. But it's just you know I think it, there's the kernel there. There's a kernel of something. There's a kernel of something there. But as a professional writer and an author, I would have expected you to have just come alive in that moment and just given me a real pitch. And um, well, I can I can leave you with this thought as we go back into the to the ranking um, in Life Force, where uh, space vampires come and take over London and they take over London quite quickly at no stage within that film is anyone told to self-isolate or stay indoors and 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 those vampires they are rampant in the streets they are but it's 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 because their leader is this incredibly gorgeous naked woman and um you know nobody's you know all the heterosexual you know kind of that's half of the world they're all going to be outside trying to get a look aren't they they're not going to stay inside. They're not going to hide. I'd be out there, you know, trying to get a few selfies. I'd be like, Marshall, come back, come back. She's a space vampire. And you'd be like, yeah, but... Well, that happens in the film, don't they? I mean, they actually watch on a video screen a, 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 a guard having all of his life force sucked away, if you pardon the expression, and then you see him falling down like a husk. We've all been there. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, they immediately run down, don't they? And, and, and the same thing happens to them. It's like, you, you know, you just can't, you can't resist a good pair of boobs. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I learned from Life Force. Certainly, I don't think there's anything else in that film that's worth paying attention to. But I know that we disagree on that. I think we do disagree on it. I like Life Force. If, if you, like Marshall, haven't seen Santa Claus the movie or Life Force, you could watch them as a double bill because what joins both those films, Marshall? If, if you can tell me, you can win a copy of this fabulous quiz book I have here called Vintage Geek. Uh, was it uh, the was it an actor? Or was no. it a producer? No. Then I don't know. They're both films. There's a lot of nudity in, in Santa Claus the movie. No, sadly. sadly not. Mrs. Claus. She, um, that's what she gives all the elves for Christmas. No, it's, it's a quite an obscure thing, but if you know it, it's kind of obvious. And uh, it's worth listening to the music of Henry Mancini, who we mostly know for Pink Panther and Moon River, did a brilliant job on Life Force and did a brilliant job on Santa Claus the movie. And I think sometimes when films are unsuccessful, the contributions that real artists make do, do get overlooked like Derek Millet. Um, so two films to have a look at there when in, in lockdown. We're coming to um, your final selection. So can you tease in the clip for us, Marshall, for your number one choice of your favourite Harryhausen creature of all time? Oh, yeah, I will say that six hands are better than two. Right. Let's have a listen. To the death, Kali. Death to our enemy.
Marvellous. So the Carly sequence there from the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Oh, I, I love that movie. So much of my childhood is wrapped up in that film. I mean, you've got Tom Baker, for starters. Tom Baker, a great villain in the role that directly led to him being cast as Doctor Who. So we have so much to be grateful for um, right there. Um, Caroline Monroe are just the most exotic, incredibly beautiful um, kind of woman, I think, from any um, Harryhausen movie, or really from anything. I mean, the the greatest, sexiest woman in any uh, Bond film, in any Hammer film, uh, you know, I mean, basically, absolute legend. Um, Martin Shaw as well from The Professionals, he's in it. I went to school, I went to primary school with Luke Shaw, his son, and it was while the professionals were on TV and it was very exciting. I remember being particularly proud when we did a um, an IQ test and um, I got a few points higher than, than Luke Shaw. And I thought that Martin Shaw should probably have me as his son instead. But it wasn't anything that went past, uh, you know, the discussion stage. Uh, also, wonderful Miklos Rosa score. Um, so I, I really, uh, really enjoyed that film. Um, very much. Um, I the, the the scene itself, I think that um, it, it was perfect for Ray's style, um, having a statue um, sort of come to life because it looks very kind of threatening, and uh, and and the way that it moves um, really suits like robots also suit suit the kind of stop motion style. There's something sort of like cold and mechanical about it, and. Uh, the way that it moves um, all the swords in, in unison and it has a kind of flair for the dramatic, the way it moves two and then two and then two. It's like it's and uh, with the sound effects and, uh, and, and the music and, and the way that it's all edited together. I love the way that it's integrated into the scene. It's not just, you know, a bunch of guys swinging their swords at the camera, then it cuts to you know, the creature kind of uh, waving its arms or whatever, at you know, and it's back and forth. I, I re you really feel like uh, it's fighting um, um, with Sinbad and his men and the way that they get involved. And it's just absolutely um, thrilling scene and just a, a wonderful kind of just absolutely immortal creation as far as I'm concerned. Carly, six thumbs up, six thumbs up from me. And that's been beautifully restored by Sony Pictures who look after the Columbia catalogue. The interesting thing about Carly is that um, when we think about early stop motion films and black and white films, it's somewhat easier to hide the trick of integrating live action with the animated model. Here, when it's much brighter lit, it's much harder for Ray to, to hide that. And yet he does it so beautifully. As you say, it's quite seamless. And it's one of the tricks that um, the effects people talked about on Mary Poppins, which was that when you're doing something, keep changing the technique. So whether it's someone flying or floating and so on, keep changing the technique so you have the audience on their toes. And this is a really fast cut, fast paced sequence. And of course, now with our kind of modern eyes, we don't think anything of it. But at the time, what must audiences have thought to see a feminine character, female character so prominent? Because often... You know, the role is played by a, a beautiful woman who accompanies Sinbad in the case of Caroline Monroe, who's a fantastic actress as well. But is a is a is a is a, is a, a if you like a, a weaker character or a neutral character, whereas Carly being a villain, being a woman and then Margaret Whiting in, in Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger and of course Medusa in Clash of the Titans. Ray was front and centre, wasn't he, with putting female characters in those main sequences and and. Maggie Smith in Clash of the Titans. You know, there, there are lots of great roles for women in Ray's films. 
Well, yes, I, I've uh, I, I've uh, been married. Um, my first wife. I I, I, I definitely believe that um, some women um, have a deep capacity for evil, John. So I'm not surprised, and I respect Ray for shining a light on that. Definitely. Had Carly been a, a male figure, I don't think it would have worked as as well. There's, there is something quite seductive, isn't there, about the physique of Carly and the fact that she's quite in charge. And it's a dance. We see her dance first, don't we? Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's hard to resist a, a, a gorgeous, shiny, naked statue, um, unless that gorgeous, shiny, naked statue has six swords that it's trying to skewer you with. Um, I, I, it's just a really um, kind of wonderful uh, sequence, a very kind of threatening creation. Also, how are you supposed to... Um, how you, you can't really stab a statue. You know, it feels like how are, you, how, how are they going to defeat it how are they going to survive it it just feels very formidable perhaps you know one of the most formidable creatures that i've ever seen in a, in a harryhausen movie and yeah i i think that you know it was it was a later film for him and um i i think with every film that he made he, he learned new tricks and he tried new things and um i mean i th- i feel from the beginning that he was at the top of his game but there's definitely um, stuff in in those later films um, that I you see that uh, maybe he'd uh, he'd refined over the years, and the Golden Voyager Sinbad has some wonderful sequences and just just absolutely um, iconic. And and there's a sense of weight, isn't there? Because she's a statue and she's large. And when she eventually falls, she smashes into a thousand pieces. As she kind of goes up the stairs after Sinbad and his men. You get a sense of scale and of weight. Yeah, very much so. You really, I mean, I never once felt like she wasn't there. It didn't feel like, uh, it didn't feel pretend at all. And it didn't feel like any uh, belief uh, needed, uh, or disbelief needed suspending. It was like, it was just completely there. And I remember going to see it. um, I remember I was, you know, a kid. I was the the target audience. I, I remember going to see it at the cinema and being absolutely thrilled by it. You know, no concessions made for anything. It was, it was absolute, you know, kind of uh, top drawer entertainment as far as I was concerned. You know, I just loved it. Every Harryhausen film was was an incredible event, really. Now, to remind people listening, we're going to be giving away five copies of Marshall's fabulous vintage geek book. Um, in this episode. So uh, Marshall's going to come up with a question. If you want to tell us the question now, Marshall, or do you want to do it a bit later, it's up to you. No, I'll do it now. Let's let's do the question now, shall we? Let's do the question now. And we'll remind you at the end of the podcast as well. And your answers need to be posted to the Ray Harryhausen page where you see this podcast listed. And uh, we shall choose five people at random. So not necessarily the first five, because I think that's unfair on people who are in different time zones but we will get you a copy of this book. And there's an entire chapter on Ray Harryhausen, which is absolutely spectacular. And uh, if you go online and look at the amazing artwork that was commissioned for this book, you'll see uh, commissioned artwork pieces for James Bond, Star Trek, Doctor Who, The Simpsons, Marvel characters, um, Disney. And there's even one for Ray Harryhausen. So we'll post the image of the Harryhausen skeleton question mark which is a special one-off that I'm very grateful and lucky to say I have in my office. So I'll be posting a picture of that along with a copy of the book. And for those of you not lucky enough to get the book, there's um, there's a few copies left. So I think the first edition of this is about to sell out. So that's why um, we've got Marshall on here talking about the book. 
And uh, I hope there's going to be another book from you, Marshall. I'd love to have seen a Harryhausen book on its own. You could easily have done a Harryhausen book of questions, I'm sure. I could. And honestly, um, when I was writing the book, um, and I spent about um, roughly about a week um, on every chapter, and uh, it was the most wonderful sort of deep dive, just like pure kind of uh, research. It's like, I, you know, I know a lot of stuff already, having grown up with all of this and always had a bit of a capacity for remembering um um, everything about this sort of thing but obviously when you're writing a book about it you know you can't just rely on your memory you have there's there's extra research there's all sorts of new stuff to discover as well and it was just amazing going down you know one trivia rabbit hole after another and I discovered so many things and yes I discovered a lot of things that I think that uh, you know most people wouldn't necessarily know so I'm asking a question about it and the chances of you getting some of them are you know quite low um, but um, they're so I think they're so interesting to discover afterwards that uh, you know you, that's what I wanted my book to be I wanted it to be a, a trivia primer as well as a quiz so even if you don't know some of the answers there's just loads of great there's just so many kind of nuggets and I go off I, I spin off I, I give an answer and then I talk for another page about something because uh, it's all about the facts isn't it it's just there's always something else to know and there's always something else that triggers that then you just want to go on and on as I do as I am at this very moment but I'll give you a question. Let's do a question from uh, the Ray Harryhausen chapter. So um, um, it, it, for your chance to win a copy of uh, Vintage Geek, which we've heard is really just a wonderful book, um, what are the names of the two tribes featured in One Million Years BC? So what are the two prehistoric tribes uh, featured in One Million Years BC? Wow, the two names of the two tribes from one million years BC. So if you can message us or ideally pop it onto the um, post where you see this first posted on the Ray Harryhausen page and then message us with your details, we will come back to you. If you've been chosen, we'll get your address details and you will be winning yourself a copy of Vintage Geek by Marshall Julius, which is um, which is really spectacular. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2020. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustee or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com where you can find our Facebook and Twitter links. <laughs>